Welcome to Real Talk, Real Estate Discussions with Andrew Kirsch. In each episode, Andrew interviews industry leaders. We'll hear their real-time opinions on today's market, their background and unique career highlights, and guidance for newcomers into the industry. You can find this show at spillalkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now here's the host of Real Talk, Andrew Kirsch. Episode 39 of Real Talk. Happy New Year. Happy holidays to everyone. Uh, before I talk about my guest for the first episode of 2024, I want to talk about the last couple deals that we worked on at the end of 2023, uh, which got uh, publicity, both the acquisition of the Aon building in downtown LA and uh, a West LA office building at 1640 Sepulveda two very similar structures where my clients uh, in each of the transactions purchased the debt and concurrently uh, recorded a deed in lieu of foreclosure to take ownership of the real estate. It's a structure that uh, we may find that's uh, more um, common uh, as we're heading uh, into 2024 in purchasing perhaps not just office like it was in those two instances, but also in uh, other asset classes, uh, multifamily and beyond. Uh, this week, for my first episode of 2024, I have Robert Lapsley, president of the California Business Roundtable. We talk about uh, the state of California and uh, different ballot measures uh, that the California Business Roundtable is supporting as we head into this election year. And one of the uh, more uh, publicized ballot measure that they have is the Taxpayer Protection Act, uh, which is on the ballot in November, which would overturn ULA and other similar transfer taxes like they do in Santa Monica and other communities. Um, and we have a wide ranging conversation, not just on those ballot measures, but on what the business roundtable is doing to support businesses here in the state of California. Uh, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, welcome to another edition of Real Talk. I'm here with Rob Lapsley, the president of the California Business Roundtable. Rob, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for your time today, Andrew. It's a real pleasure. Well, Rob, I know we were recently introduced uh, and uh, I want to get into what the California Business Roundtable does, but I know we were introduced really concerning um, uh, the singular topic of ULA. And for my audience, uh, whether they're in Southern California or throughout the country, this le legislation that got passed what, about a year or so ago, is probably the one piece of legislation that I get asked about. And in my entire 25-year career of being a lawyer, it's the one legislation that I have spoken more about um, because of its dramatic economic impact on LA and its reverberation really throughout the entire economy. And so, Rob, tell us what is the California Business Roundtable and what are you doing with respect to ULA? So again, thank you for the opportunity. So the California Business Roundtable is an organization made up of 50 different companies 
CEOs across all California business sectors. So we represent and advocate on behalf of growing jobs and investment in California, affecting all of the major policy issues at the state level, all of the major political issues at the state, regional, and local levels. And we also work, obviously, on major federal issues that go along with that as well. Uh, so we have a wide footprint in California for what we do. But lately, uh, a lot of our activity, while we have a lot of bad laws being passed in California, as you know, particularly when you look at multifamily and different things, the political part of this equation now is really our highest priority. We, in 2020, beat back uh, a $13 billion a year tax increase call on split roll property taxes. Uh, that we're going to be a separate increase just on commercial, industrial, and retail property. Uh, so we, from the roundtable, my board, uh, raised $75 million to defeat that. And then we've been part of a team to defeat rent control in California on a statewide basis twice. And, up, and next year, a year from now, it's back up for the third time. We're, we're preparing to help defeat it again. So that's, that's, that's by the way, I didn't uh, I didn't even realize how much the California Business Roundtable uh, has been involved in in, in those uh, uh, prior um, legislations and and movements. So thank you for for all your efforts Eve, from prior years. Well, again, as we see where the I think what's really important for your listeners is that we understand that today, where we are today, when you look at the public policy arena in California, the legislature, local government, real estate is under full scale attack on every level. On multifamily, they wanna obviously write the laws so that you can't evict tenants or have the most difficult time to do that to protect your own property. Uh, at the same time, they want to crank down on what you can charge, right, with rent caps. At the same time, they want to increase your taxes, right? So every piece of real estate in this state is under full-scale attack. And why is that? Because California has an insatiable thirst for higher taxes to fund the progressive agenda that we have here. And they see real estate as the next biggest target because while other companies in California are moving to other states, they think real estate can't move. That your assets are here, your investments are here, and so you're gonna have to deal with what they pass uh, and pay it. And so that is why you had Measure ULA in Los Angeles a year ago, as you said, Andrew. And that is why you're seeing laws across the board uh, to be able to try and get more money from the real estate sector moving forward, that is not going to stop. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Rob, is each year, the percentage of deals that I work on outside of Southern California, in fact, outside of California, grow uh, significantly. And I would say in my practice, although the vast majority of my clients are based in Los Angeles. They reside in Los Angeles as we record here in what early mid November. It's obviously a beautiful day, 70 degrees sunny, and that's why people live here. But they are investing elsewhere. 
Phoenix, Vegas, Texas, Florida, Nashville, the Carolinas, in more business-friendly states. And I feel like our government officials don't appreciate that and acknowledge that and understand that that's even happening. I think you're exactly correct. You know, and, and just to underscore your point, because you're, you're right, what is causing us even greater concern is that we're not sure they care. So that's an even bigger issue because if they don't care, then where is that going to leave the state? They care about the progressive agenda. They care about the largest, if you will, controlling entity in the state that has the greatest impact on the politics and public policy of California are the public employee unions. The, the unions, SEIU, the California Teachers Association, have an insatiable desire for increased salaries and pensions. That's what they care about. Everything else becomes secondary. And they think from their perspective, business will always be able to pay it. Yeah, some may move. Okay, that's a cost. You know, that's, that's their choice. But there's so many who won't move because of the weather or our, obviously our, uh, our advantages in our higher education system that's hopefully spur innovation. And most importantly, our access to investor capital. Uh, so as far as they're concerned, they just continue to put the burden on business, our employment law structure, which is unique from every other state in the country. And now it's on our taxes. So let's dive into ULA in, to the extent there are uh, listeners who don't know what ULA is, which uh, there may be a few, but, but most of my audience <laughs> knows about ULA. Why don't you set yeah. it up? So you describe, you know, what this tax was that got passed uh, about a year ago. Okay. So in order to set it up properly, I'm going to ask for a minute of your patience to take you back. It actually started in 2018. Mm -hmm. So, and where there is a history here of where it led to ULA. And now there's a history here of where it's going far beyond ULA. So in 2018, uh, there was a court case from with the California Supreme Court, where they arbitrarily made a what was previously a two thirds tax in California, a majority vote tax. They just arbitrarily changed it from two thirds to majority. Now, what was that tax? In, in California, since 1996, we required that if citizens of, a, of the state or a jurisdiction or, or of a jurisdiction, local city, government, county, if they qualify a tax measure for a special purpose. So the, the, the money from that tax goes to a specific purpose. It requires a two thirds vote. It's always been that way. From 1996. Correct. Now uh -huh. in 2018, when the courts changed that, now citizens can go out and qualify an initiative for a specific tax, specific purpose, and it becomes a majority vote. So that's what ULA represented. That's what that was. And who was it? 
It's not citizens, quote unquote, qualifying that measure for the tax and the purpose. It's the unions. This is now their new strategy to raise taxes in California on business. And so when they got that opportunity, they have now implemented a new a plan where they see if they go out and qualify these local measures, then they can obviously try and convince the voters they're not going to pay it. So measure ULA was called the mansion tax, right? It's only going to be on all these huge mansions that get paid or on, you know, major properties that they'll never, will never impact them. And so everybody else is going to pay it. I'm not going to pay it. Oh, and by the way, they say the money goes to homeless programs. Well, again, they say it, it's not the reality. So the money goes into local government and then you're never quite sure where that money goes. So they have a great way to market it now. They have a great way to sell it. And once they qualify it, they put money in to pass it. And that's again, what ULA was. Another way to get revenue for the city. Now they estimated, Andrew, as you know, a billion dollars for this, but because it's had such a detrimental impact on the, on the local economy, right? It's right now from the, from the estimates we have seen from the city, and we do follow that, the, the mayor's budget is estimating that at the most, they should budget for about $150 million, maybe 180, and that's it. Nowhere close to $2 billion because they know what the impact is on this. And the again, because the unions wrote this, it's so badly written, right? That you have to pay the 5% even if you have a loss on your property, even if you have a loss on your home, as you know, an average home in practically in LA, and I'm being a little facetious here, but it's $5 million, right? So you can take a loss on the home and still have to pay the tax. Right. It's based on the gross uh, sales price and not profit. Right. Correct. Um, I, I do recall recently in, uh, a week or two ago, I think it was a deputy mayor uh, of LA who basically said, I don't know if he was attributing it to a specific person or a movement, or maybe it was California Business Roundtable of having a temper tantrum with respect to ULA. Um, obviously, this market in the, in the last- a- it was you. Okay. So yeah, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Look, my, my, my six-year-old throws a temper tantrum. Um, but I guess so does Rob. Uh, last kids. Yes. Uh, so that's something that you and my six-year-old have in common. Um, yes. is, is it unfair though, to push back a little Rob, is it unfair to say, look how little ULA has brought in terms of revenue because this year, the entire real estate market has changed due to the significant rise in interest rates. And so that when they were planning ULA, it was still a robust market, low interest rates, a lot of transactions. So there is that element without Andrew, you're exactly correct. There is that element, but, but let me actually bring in an additional point. When the unions plan this, we're coming out of a COVID recession. 
and they knew what the impact was on property because that our property here, right? People are back to work in California. Look at look at San Francisco. And so they plan this when they know better than anybody that we have to recover from the still from a COVID recession before you even start to look at right what's going to happen. That's why they ultimately called it the mansion tax. So it was on houses, not on uh, describing other property. So then it gets written in the worst possible way because they don't care and they don't understand the market, most importantly. And then you have the interest rate issue on top of it. So you're right. But all yeah. those things combined, right, are, are impacting this. So there was obviously a lot of deceit uh, in the way they marketed and, and even titled the ULA um, legislation, like you said, calling it a mansion tax, but yet it applies to all real estate, commercial and residential. Um, so what is the California Business Roundtable doing to combat ULA? I know that there's been multiple lawsuits challenging ULA. Uh, I know one of them and maybe both of them have failed, um, but I know that you guys are trying a different tactic. So a, a couple points. One is in, in neighboring Santa Monica, there was also a transfer tax pay or passed, just so you know. So again, representing this is the kind of the newest strategy. If you look ahead to next year in 2024, there's multiple transfer taxes being proposed especially in San Diego, which is already being geared up to fight. So my uh, co-chairs on all of these efforts, one of them is the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, one of the most powerful uh, taxpayer uh, organizations in the country and have been a leading voice on trying to create fair and balanced taxes here in California uh, since the 70s. And they originally passed Proposition 13, which is literally our only uh, tax protection left for property here in California. So they challenged Measure ULA. Uh, they decided to take the lead on that lawsuit. So to your point, that lawsuit was dismissed two weeks ago. They failed in the courts here. Um, they are going to appeal that, uh, but as we also know, the appeal uh, is going to take a while. And when you describe the courts in California, just for, for any listeners outside the state, uh, where business finds itself these days in many instances when it comes to the courts, and you saw it extensively during COVID with the numerous legal challenges brought for the unfair uh, eviction moratoriums that were passed and the rent caps and all those things. You know, we have the, the arguments, the legal arguments on our side to prevail. What we are finding a challenge in California courts is whether or not we can prevail on the politics. So I just leave that with you because that is now a real issue for us, given where California is. And it, as we look to the future, we're a one party state. We have a permanent two thirds supermajority Democrat legislature with, that is now focused on a highly progressive agenda. And I'm not making this partisan. I, what, I, this is only describing the facts as we see it from the business community and trying to make the decisions on whether you can grow jobs 
an investment here in California. These are the things you have to take into account because you never know. I always get asked the question, Andrew, what's next, right? We, they just passed this. Last year, one of the bills the governor signed uh, back in September was to unionize our legislature. So think about that. They're gonna become part of SEIU. The group that is sponsoring all of this that we have to contend with, they are now going to become SEIU unionized employees. Governor Newsom signed that bill. No, it's remarkable. And and so specific with respect to ULA, uh, I know there's the Taxpayer Protection yes. Act that, and Accountability Act that you guys uh, yes. have your front and center. So talk, tell our listeners about that act and uh, what does it entail? So let me quickly go through it. Thank you. So after, again, the split rural property tax that we defeated, my member said, we need to look at long-term checks and balances for California so we can send a message both in California and across the country that we are going to have some balanced policies for job growth and investment here in the state. So we developed the Taxpayer Protection Act over a period of years. I, we wrote it I, and then we have a very strong political team here in the state, one of the best, uh, who does all of the messaging and the research. We spent years researching it. And what it does is for any taxes passed by the legislature in California, they cannot go into effect until they're voted on by the people of the state in the next general election. Governor Brown, back in 2010, he implemented that policy. Uh, actually, he said he would never sign a tax bill unless the people voted on it first. So all we did was take his policy and we put it into this initiative. I, people pass taxes at the statewide level. Governor Brown got a big tax passed because we had a big deficit. Didn't stop any, didn't stop a tax from being passed but it sure guaranteed that everyone had, a, had the ability to weigh in on it before uh, it was passed. So that's what we're looking at, a, a check and a balance. At the local level, it's the same thing. Any city or county, they pass a tax, has to be voted on by the, by the people of that jurisdiction. We also uh, require that for fees in the state, which are a big deal in California, particularly for housing, any fees, that are passed by a state agency or a department for the first time have to be approved by the legislature. There has to be a check and balance. Otherwise, right now, the legislature passes a law, the agency implements it, and they just charge whatever they want. Uh, same thing at the local level. Anything from the city departments have to be approved by the local city councils or the county board. Uh, we also redefine what's a fee and what's a tax. That's been muddled over the years in courts. So we clarify that. We ensure that uh, a fee has to represent a reasonable actual charge for what it costs them to administer so that they can't go out and make huge uh, profits off some of these fees. Uh, we also ensure, Andrew, that uh, provision of this, we have new transparency language for this, a very key element. So when people actually go to vote at an election on taxes or on, on anything that's on the ballot, if it's a tax, they actually will see how much it costs, what they pay, and how long they're gonna pay it. 
that doesn't exist today. Uh, and it's very challenging for voters to get that information in many respects to be able to see that. Uh, for county or for local property taxes, all local property taxes that are raised in a county, 58 counties in California, must stay and be sent and be spent on the local essential services in that same county. So for the first time, we actually say, if the property tax is raised in your county, you're going to get the benefit of that property tax in your county. No more bringing it to Sacramento and trying to bring it back down, uh, which is what they try and do with a lot of the split roll property taxes. They redistribute it through Sacramento. Uh, so we ensure that the people will be able to, to have the benefits of what they pay at the local level. All these things are simple. A lot of people think they're already being done and they're not. I, so we, we took this, uh, we got it qualified last year. We got 1.43 million signatures on, uh, to get this qualified. Uh, it will be on the November 2024 ballot. And so what, and thank you for that overview of um, the TPP. Uh, what does that mean though for laws that have been passed like ULA, where it was passed by a majority of the voters in the city of LA, whether they knew what they were voting for or not, yes. it was passed. And um, I, I've heard everything from this will retroactively render laws like ULA ineffective or no longer effective and that any transfer tax or similar taxes in the future would require a two-thirds vote. Is that what exactly accurate, but how does this impact ULA? So great question and a very important component of this discussion and our policy. So one is, again, uh, we closed that loophole for the citizen-backed initiative. So it goes from a majority to a two-thirds. That's the only tax that changes the threshold. Uh, everything else remains in California as it's always been. We don't touch any of the current revenue streams, et cetera, for what is already being collected, except, except we have a start date. So you're correct on our measure that when we uh, get passed in November of 24, the actual start date is January 1st of 2022. So any tax that's been passed since January 1st, 2022, that does not comply with the provisions of the Taxpayer Protection Act, then gets invalidated. Measure ULA will be invalidated at that point. What we provide for them in our measure is what we call a one-year cure period. The cure is to go out, they can continue to raise money, they, but they go out and within a year and get a two-thirds vote on that tax. And then they continue forward if and when they do. Uh, and if they don't go out and get the two-thirds vote, then they are in, permanently invalidated. So what we were concerned about, why did we do this is the question I always get. And it's an important question. 
because what happened is when we knew that we were on the street and draft, drafted this and getting signatures uh, early in 22 for the 24 ballot, we knew that cities were going to rush to the ballot to try and get out in front of our measure by passing multiple billions of taxes on the local ballot uh, ahead of us. And Measure ULA is one example. And so we wanted to ensure that there would be, again, balance with this, that there wasn't gonna be, if there was gonna be a rush to the ballot, which is fine, uh, at least there was going to be some information protections, transparency, accountability in those measures for people to vote on it. And so we put that starting provision in here, in there of January 1st, 22, to help ensure that. And that's what it's done. There's only seven taxes that have been passed that don't comply with our measure that will be addressed once we pass in 24. But Measure ULA is by far the biggest. And how about the one in Santa Monica and other Same cities thing. where they've- They'll be invalidated been. as well. Mm -hmm. Has, so in my, um, you know, over the last year, uh, and I think I alluded to this already, um, the, the number of, of capital providers, whether they're private equity companies uh, of a national and international scale, uh, lenders, Wall Street-based lenders, have told me that they've put a red line through Los Angeles that until this law gets overturned, ULA, or until the political framework uh, uh, of, uh, of LA uh, changes significantly, that they're not going to do business in LA. And I don't know, and it's sort of what we talked about earlier, that our elected officials and Mayor Bass and the, and the City Council of Los Angeles, if they truly understand the ramification that this is actually happening and the ramifications of of this. So what I guess my question is, what type of outreach and evidence uh, and discussions have you had with elected officials on how the capital markets and corporate America, both in LA and out of LA, how they have responded to really ULA being the last straw? So, you know, our concern is that red line not just extends in Los Angeles around ULA, but in many respects extends across the state when you sure. take our policies as a whole. That's what our mission is here at the Roundtable as directed by my board. But to ULA specifically, we, we educate the policymakers, the state legislators, the local elected officials in LA, our colleagues who are down there uh, have been doing, you know, I, everybody in unison to, to create a larger voice, I, to be able to try and show exactly the numbers speak for themselves, as you see, Andrew, and as you follow it, you know, closer than anybody. Uh, the amount of revenue uh, that has been taken in nowhere near matches the projections. And that is in and of itself should be the biggest red line and red flag that they can possibly have to understand that this is a broken 
uh, tax. If this policy is broken, doesn't work, they got to rethink it. They need to go back out and fix it and do all that. But there's no discussion about that whatsoever. Not at all. Yeah. It, you know, if we could go back to the day after Election Day last year, <clears throat> the conversations were how did we as a business community, how did we as a real estate industry let this happen? How were we this asleep? Um, there was so much focus on the mayor election in LA. Mm -hmm. Karen Bass beat Caruso and obviously most of the, the majority of the, of, the, of the real estate industry, I would say, was, was supporting Caruso. And there were events throughout the city concerning the mayor election, mayoral election. No one, well, maybe not you guys, but I feel like there wasn't a broad discussion over ULA. And the next day, everyone woke up and said, what the hell just happened? Uh, excellent point. So it was actually an effort that was trying to be, there were so many different things going on, agreed. That's a, that was a key point because you're looking at the city council, which needed you know, to try and get some more business friendly representatives on. You obviously had the mayor's race, as you said. There was a lot of things going on. And as a result, this issue got started too late is really the issue. They started, the union started early. They started messaging early, as we know in campaigns. If you can get out first and define your message first, you have a much greater chance of succeeding, uh, even with a tax. And as a result, uh, the business community started too late. There were some key companies that became great leaders and a catalyst to try and do something, but it, it wasn't enough uh, at the right time. And so they just couldn't get enough message out on what the actual impact is going to be or was going to be on the negatives of this, even though the negatives were totally clear. So that's a huge disappointment, but that's also a lesson learned because San Diego where is now facing a transfer tax and it's gonna be similar. And so they're already organized, research has already been done. They're on it a year out in order to get their message out first. But in this case, that wasn't unfortunately the opportunity to do that. And so it, it, it passed. Yeah, so now that we're a year out uh, and I guess I'll sort of end with, with, with this question or questions. We're a year out. You have a million four signatures. Obviously, we're going to have a hotly contested presidential election, yes. uh, a Senate election, right? In for for state of California, um, and this ballot measure. Um, what needs to happen between now and election day to enhance the likelihood that this legislation? will pass. So again, first and foremost, our measure is a constitutional measure. That means it is going to, when it passes, it's going to go into the constitution. So it can't be undone by the legislature or the governor unless it goes back before a vote of the people. So once this passes, it's locked because that's not going to happen. Uh, so we want to reinforce that understanding. Uh, number two, let's look at the political climate next year, as you just started to define. So the, one of the reasons ULA lost is that there was a record low turnout in Los Angeles for a gubernatorial election. 
One, we had a recall election a year before, nobody really cared. I, there was actually bad, I know it's a little, uh, you know, a little uh, trite, but there was a lot of uh, bad weather in LA on election day. It, it yep. actually did impact turnout. I, so what we're gonna have next year is a record high turnout for a presidential election. We expect over 82% plus of the California electorate, over 22 million voters total, over 82% of them are going to vote. Mm -hmm. So what we're preparing for and what we see, right, is that it, one, we want to get our message out first unequivocally. Two, we have a very simple message. And the message is key because California has the highest cost of living in the country. Everywhere we turn, we're paying more and more. People feel in California like they're not getting a return on the taxes they pay. You look at the roads, you look at homeless. We paid, governors put out $17 billion in the last three years on homeless programs. And the roundtable has supported a lot of that. They don't see any difference. So they're, now, they're, now they're asking the question is, where's all the money going? That's a question for some of the electeds are gonna to have to deal with next year. I, but we're, we're setting the stage that they understand all this is, is your right to vote on future taxes. You yep. have the final say, whether it's at the state level or the local level. And I can tell you unequivocally from our research, people embrace that message. People want that ability. They want to be empowered to do that because they don't trust the politicians now to be able to say, if you're, if I'm paying more, the money's actually going to solve the problems. They don't believe it anymore. No, they, they don't. The, yeah. The issues that were, I'm born and bred Los Angelino I've, for almost 50 years now and how the city, um, has has evolved over that time period from homelessness issues, crime, uh, and other aspects that are just a general unbusiness friendly climate has has really hurt uh, not just the city, but I know you represent the state and you know San Francisco and and other communities. So. Um, Look, Rob, I, I truly appreciate you coming on. I appreciate all the effort uh, that you're doing on behalf of Californians uh, and business people uh, across all industries. Uh, of course, the real estate industry, which I'm largely a part of, uh, is extremely eager to see this bill passed next year. And uh, if there's anything I can do with the podcast or if there's any information you want to get out to my listeners, please, here's your, your final chance. <laughs> well, again, number one, Andrew, thank you. I mean, you do such a phenomenal job in, in informing people on the most critical issues and especially what's happening in real time like, like this. But, you know, we would just, and we look forward to keeping you updated as we move forward in our progress. Uh, but I would just leave and ask the listeners this, right? What this represents again is a long-term check and balance. On Cal for Californians in in their taxes, if we if we fail at our mission to pass this, there is nothing out there as a long term check and balance to stop what's going to be coming. Particularly if there is a recession, 
or when revenues slow down next next week's tax day, November 15th, you're going to see um, that there's going to be a slowdown in revenues again. I so there there will be no checks and balances for the future. I so we would ask for them to consider that, and then there would be no relief for Measure ULA either. It's going to be a permanent tax that unless the mayor takes it up to change it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So you're going to be stuck with it. Well, I said this would be your final word, but you know what? I think we should have you come on again just before the election. uh, So 11 months from now to remind everyone and hopefully by that, you know, my my, uh, audience will even have grown uh, significantly. So you'll be uh, talking to a larger uh, audience um, but people need to be reminded, and obviously elections matter, uh, and that this measure is is critical to to the health of the not just the economy, but just the way of life uh, for Californians. Well, again, thank you for everything, and be, it would be a pleasure, obviously, and let us know how we can be of help in return on any of these issues. Great, Rob. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, it's a real pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real Estate Discussions with Andrew Kirsch. You can catch prior episodes at scalarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and for sharing this show with others.